da, 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 da. You uh, love the musical intros. I do. Why? I don't know. We actually have a musical intro, so music. I don't know why I did that. It's hey, guys. Hey. Welcome back to the <laughs> podcast. Here with Michael Gormley, and... your coordinator of the vegetation. <laughs> Crazy Stephen Lenahan. <laughs> <laughs> we have a serious, serious holiday hangover. <laughs> oh, man. Guys, this is hard. And not, hard. not, not from alcohol, just from the, the being a dad yes. with a family instead yes. of... Instead of receiving presents, having to buy them on time and yeah. wrap them, and yeah, Amazon is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh gosh, I was in Walmart on two days before Christmas, and I'm walking around as people are buying Christmas gifts, and I'm like, and I literally had to stop and be like, "Don't you know you can do this Wait, online?" Who does that? Oh, it was so bizarre. We literally have all of our Christmas shopping done, basically by November first, all because of Amazon. Yeah, just done. Absolutely. It's My a, mom's like, give me your Christmas list. Boom. Email. Done. Yeah, it's Done. fantastic. You people. got that you can set up that wish list that you can send to people. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I here's it the is, thing though. It really you gotta is. remember though, if you're gonna if you're gonna use Amazon at, as um much as we do, yeah, and I'm sure many of our prisoners do, pray for Amazon workers. Oh yeah. That's a tough job in, in the warehouse. And it I haven't is. heard great things. I'm not gonna like disparage anyone if you work for Amazon or whatever. I'm just saying I've heard things. Yeah. Pray for the people that are packaging up your boxes at Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. My right. brother my brother works for UPS and he was telling me the story that last Christmas, uh, one company, Yeti, is Yeti based out of this out of Houston? Or or the uh, Yeti's I think, I think Yeti's based out of Austin, maybe. There's a competitor, Yeti with the other one. Well, whatever it is. That one of those things that makes like igloo cooler type stuff. Yeah. They were saying that on an average day, they were doing they do one full truck of delivery. So a whole truck has to go out there. They said after Thanksgiving, they were requesting twenty five trucks. That's ridiculous. Of packages. How crazy is they that? They do make really good stocking stuffers though. In fact, <laughs> I gave my wife one for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> What did you get for Christmas? What was your gift? What was your present? Oh, I got a I got a vest because you know I love vests are cool. Core warmth, but freedom of motion for my long <laughs> arms. That's really important. I feel like uh, my extremities can get cold, but my core yeah, needs to stay warm. It's true. It. Core warmth. It's important. Um, oh, we got uh, we got new knives, uh, like cutting knives for the kitchen. Like um, nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. We it was it was time. The other ones were getting kind of. Kind of gnarly. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what else did I get? Oh, got new tennis shoes. So that Ooh. was good. Yeah. Big boy's all grown up. Can you tie your own laces? Let's not talk about that. It's Velcro. Yeah. <laughs> got a complex. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, yeah, man. Can I tell you what I got? Best thing ever. Well, I wasn't going to ask, but go ahead. Oh, I'm going to volunteer. <laughs> I asked you so that you would ask me. And when you hadn't, I decided just to jump in. Uh, I bought myself a present, which mm-hmm. was uh, for every podcast that I do, I bought a fracture print. So I have one of Beyond the Bulletin. Oh, it's a, buddy! Yeah, it's a glass five by <laughs> five inch by five inch square, and they print the logo directly onto the glass. It's super cool. Yeah, I want to come see that. Yeah, I'll bring it. I'll bring it to work. I was going to bring it actually Perfect. today and show you, but uh, I got that. So I got five of them for the five different podcasts that I do. Uh, so I have that, and then uh, my wife bought me the Word on Fire Classics from Bishop Barron. Oh, that's cool. Augustine's Confessions, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. Seven Story Mountain by Thomas Merton and the essay on the development of Christian doctrine by John Henry Cardinal Newman. And I've been reading Augustine's Confessions. I've never read it before. I've read parts of it, 
but now I'm I'm about fifty pages in. That was my Christmas reading. I got another gift that I would I would be remiss to not mention. Okay. Uh, I got um I got a prayer book. It's a book of prayer and blessings for your home, and it's written in the style of like how like a like the book of blessings that a deacon or a priest would read out of, but it's for the home specifically, so like cool. a dad can lead or whatever, but it's got like the, the domestic church. Yeah, it's got like the red and black pen, but it's printed by the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops. My father-in-law a? got it for me. A. Uh, amen. <laughs> and uh, I just thought it was so weird that I got it uh, and that it was from the Canadian Conference of Catholic that Bishops, but uh, I'm excited. My father-in-law gave it to me, and he wrote a little note in there, and he said, so that you can bless your family. I was like, that's a pretty cool gift. Nice, nice. Do you know how they came up with the name Canada? They put a bunch of letters in a hat, and they're like, C-A-N-A-D-A. <laughs> you are so lame. <laughs> By lame, you mean awesome. I'll yeah, that was it. pretty good, it. actually. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, but the reason why we wanted to get together for this podcast of champions is because we wanted to talk about a friend of ours who's pretty awesome. Yes. Her name is Mary. Her name is Mary. And, and she is... No, we're not talking about you, Mary Beale. Shout out to you. <laughs> yes. You are awesome, too. Shout out to our mutual assistant. We're not talking about you. Mary... <laughs> I almost said Mary Beale. Mary, the mother, the mother of, God. of God. Yeah, so <laughs> important to understand. We just celebrated the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God. It's such an important feast in the understanding of who Mary is. If there is no... If Mary is not the mother of God, then she's nothing. So her role, her mission, the reason why she exists is to say yes to the incarnation of Jesus Christ and to bring our Messiah onto this earth, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, why that's so important, all the other things about Mary flow out from that. So Mary's immaculate conception, her perpetual virginity, and her glorious assumption all flow out of the central dogma of Mary that she is the mother of God. So important for people to understand. And if you're not super into, like, Christology and ecclesiology, there's a fascinating story. There was a guy named Nestorius who basically said, no, we can't call Mary Theotokos, which in Greek means God-bearer or mother of God. We can't call her Theotokos. We could call her the Christotokos because Mary's the mother of Christ, like the human nature. Mary's not the mother of God. That would mean she'd have to exist before God in order to give birth to God. He sounds like a heretic. And he was condemned (laughs) (laughs) and mocked routinely. No, so the idea of Nestorius. Now, there is a church that still exists today that's also known as the Nestorian Church. But their official name is the Assyrian Church of the East. And what happened was after the Council of Ephesus condemned uh, Nestorius and his followers... They were basically, once you're condemned at that point in time, the Roman Empire was going to persecute you, which, you know, is always fun. Um, And so they fled the Roman Empire by going to the one empire Rome could never conquer, which is Persia, and they settled down in Persia. And the reason why, this is just, to me, these are like little historical things are so fascinating. Now, the Catholic Church has signed a joint declaration on Christology, where we basically sat down at the Assyrian Church and we said, this is what we believe and what we say about Mary and the, and the nature of Jesus. Do you agree with these statements? And they came back and said, 100% yes. So they actually might not be heretics. How could this happen? Nestorius was a Greek dude. Cyril of Alexandria, he was a Greek dude. They squared off. They fought each other intellectually. All these bishops fought each other. The problem was that Nestorius was using Aristotelian thought, 
stuff, a philosophy that came from Aristotle. Aristotle, yeah. And they were using, the other team, the saint team, uh, was using Neoplatonism, thought that came from Plato and some other people, a great Greek philosopher. And they were using similar language, but with different meanings. So one would, they would use the word hypostasis, but mean different things. And so this kind of epic fight and division in the church might have been much ado about nothing. You still can call Mary, you, you should not call Mary just the Christotokos, the Christ bearer, but the Theotokos. But here's the funny thing. They took Aristotle with them to Persia, and the West lost Aristotle for about the next 800 years. Interesting. Yeah. That's why St. Thomas Aquinas, he's the greatest commentator on Aristotle. We lost him to Persia, right? And then what happened in Persia about two, 300 years later? It was conquered by the Arabic Islam. Then, so Islam takes over Persia, and then they conquer all of North Africa, and then pop into Spain. We get Aristotle 800 years later because of the Muslim invasion of Spain brought with them the Muslim and Jewish commentators on Aristotle. And then Aristotle re-entered the West in the 1100s and 1200s. So St. Thomas Aquinas is brilliant intellect. He's here because this crazy heresy in the corner of the world, 800 years earlier, they took Aristotle's books and left. They took their bat and went home. And we lost a whole philosopher. How do you lose a philosopher? I'll tell you how. You boot him out of your empire. <laughs> I'm staring at you as you're saying this. Words are coming out of my mouth. So handsome. No, no. no. Just I, It's the same feeling I have after I've drank too much eggnog on yeah. Christmas. Uh, like, a, like, like a warmth in your tummy? Yeah, it's like heart. a warmth, a contentness, but also a, a little bit of a haze. <laughs> A little bit of a haze. So, Mary, Theotokos. <laughs> so, back to Mary the God-bearer. No, yes, yes the God-bearer. God Why um, do Catholics call Mary the mother of God and Protestants hate that idea? Well, I think, so this is a great point. It, there's there's a lot of it is rooted deeply, deeply in Old Testament scripture. Yep. And anyone who's ever gone through Bible timeline has heard this kind of uh, Or theology. Scott Hunt's Genesis to Jesus That's and all right. that stuff. Yeah, all these different... Um, you know, or even Hail Holy Queen, Scott Hahn's book, Hail yep. Holy Queen. There's a lot of great evidence that Mary is, as the mother of God, is is critical um, for the fulfillment of yep. the covenant that was uh, that was made in in Jesus Christ, who came from the Davidic line, right? So, in the house of David, Jesus comes from that line. In the house of David, uh, the queen that kind of uh, had ownership in the household was not actually the wife of, of King David. Because kings at that time had many wives. Many wives and concubines. So that role fell to the queen mother. Exactly. Um, and so, too, it should be reflected in the new covenant of Jesus Christ that the queen mother uh, would hold that special title and that special role. So uh, I think all of that is fascinating. Also, Mary uh, Mary is the new Eve, right? She undid she, what, what Eve did or she she did uh what he failed to do yeah. um and saying yes as a handmaid of the lord be it done unto me according to your word instead of uh you know eve who said i'm gonna do it my way or the I, did it my, I did it my way. way eve is frank sinatra thanks frankie <laughs> yeah um yeah when you look at the old testament you see uh, what's that line from saint augustine that dr Hahn always quotes the old is revealed in the new and the new is concealed in the old and you see this because the New Testament writers believed and used in their reading of the Old Testament this thing called typology. It comes from the Greek word tupos, meaning type. And what that meant was what we would say prefiguring or foreshadowing. They took it to the next level and said typology. A type is 
some, a, a figure in the Old Testament or an event in the Old Testament not only represents something substantial that happened back then. Historically. Back yeah, then. historically it's a real reality, but it also points to an even greater reality that fulfills it in the future. Right. And so you look at Adam and you have someone like St. Paul in Romans chapter 5 talk about the first Adam and the new Adam or the second Adam, Jesus. Jesus comes as a new Adam. The first Adam failed. The second Adam enters into that failure, namely death, and then transforms it into the very thing that gives us eternal life. And so another, you, another great example of this, I think, feel like just real quick on this typology yeah. is like Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament, yeah. right? Um, that, that revealment of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Isaac being like the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice on the mountain I will show you. Exactly. It was a prefigurement of what was going to happen um, on the same mountain, on the same mountain, Mount Moriah, on, Mount Moriah in the old Testament is yeah. also Calvary in the new Testament. A lot yeah. of people miss that point. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Calvary is a hill on Mount Moriah. And so when you think about all this stuff, right. Think like Isaac, he put the wood of the sacrifice on his shoulders and carried it up the mountain. Right. This is his son, his only son whom he loves father, behold the wood and the flint, but where is the animal or where's the lamb? The Lord himself will provide the lamb. For the sacrifice. That was the response of Abraham. You have all these levels. So that, those are people. What about events? You have the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, this unblemished male lamb on the prime of life. Not a bone of his shall be broken. The blood is spilt out. A hyssop branch is put on the doorpost. Well, wouldn't you know it, John, talking about Jesus, the lamb of God, talks about uh, a hyssop branch being used to raise to, to his lips. These are intentionally crafted allusions, not illusions, but allusions back to what happened. But it's a way that says that Old Testament thing fulfilled now in the New Testament thing. The old is a type or a shadow of the good things to come. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Yeah, and the study of like typology in Scripture, particularly in the Old and the New Testament, well, those are the only parts yeah. of Scripture that we study. But <laughs> especially in the Old, New Testament. In the old <laughs> New Testament, that would be the whole Bible. Uh, no, but the study of typology, when I first got into this, uh, which yeah. was really in college, I think that was, for me, the proof that, that Scripture truly is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There is no way, there is no human author that could have put this together as poetically as it is put together. Yeah, the great line is, uh, God writes history the way men write words. We use words to signify things and events. God uses the things and events to signify yet still greater things. Yeah. And so the role of Mary comes in. She is the new Eve, the bride of Christ. There's even a prophecy in the Old Testament which says, uh, talking to the mothers, and your sons shall marry you. And it's like, that makes no sense. But when you understand it in this Christological age, Mary represents this bridal maternity within the body of Christ. She's the virgin bride, the fruitful mother. She's a disciple. The church is called to be the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. And Mary is the first woman to say yes to that. So you have this... Making her the first Christian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Truly, the first one to say yes to Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit and the yes of Mary, Jesus entered in the world. So too, through the new evangelization, through the Holy Spirit and Mary's intercession, will Christ enter the hearts anew today. And so you look at Mary as the new Eve. Mary as the new Israel. Mary as icon of the church. Mary as the Ark of the Covenant. So there's this YouTube video of this anti-Catholic preacher, and it, uh, the uh, YouTube video is like how Catholics misuse typology about Mary. 
And one of the things that kept running through my head is you have to be careful with typology. If you read a lot of the church fathers, they use analogies of everything, almost to a, like an origin, this one guy, origin, use it to like an absurd extent that kind of sours scholars on typology. But I remind people, like the people who wrote the New Testament used the word tupos or type over and over again. This was a type of the good things to come, the author of Hebrews says, um, the flood of Noah prefigured baptism, which saves you now, right? They understood this relationship between the old and the new. So when we look at Mary, you say, okay, how do I know what I'm saying is rational, right? Well, you look at the New Testament author, especially Luke, looking back at Mary's Magnificat and how that patterned the great um, uh, song of Hannah when she had her, uh, her kids. Well, here is Luke creating the Magnificat that directly and intentionally reflects this Old Testament woman, right? You have the phrase, um, when the Ark of the Covenant comes, you have the phrase, how is it that the Ark of my Lord should come to me? And then you have Elizabeth saying, how is this that the, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The Ark remained in that place for about three months. Mary remained with her cousin Elizabeth for about three months. They directly make these parallels between the old and the new because they want to show you that Mary is not just another believer. Mary is the bridge between the old and the new. She's the first one to say yes, but she's also the culmination of Israel's hope. Mm -hmm. And she gets to live it out in the most beautiful and painful way. Right. Right. The most beautiful way and the most painful way. And I remind people who are sketched out about Catholic devotion to Mary, I remind them that Mary was the closest to Jesus. I mean, as the title, Mother of God, Think about that. 30 years Mary had with Jesus in the silence of Nazareth, right? Scripture doesn't talk about it except, you know, his presentation in the temple and then his, uh, his famous story of getting lost and remaining in the temple at his bar mitzvah age, basically. But they, other than that, the hidden life of Nazareth was just Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Mm. Think about that. Nine months in her womb, 30 years in her home. Three years, she followed him as a disciple. She's standing at the foot of the cross. She witnesses the resurrection. She was there at Pentecost. Mary was a pillar. In fact, Luke probably got most of his early life stories about Jesus from Mary. Yeah. And she was there pondering all these things in her heart. Why do we cast her off? We I don't know. Absolutely. It, it, it honestly makes me sad that that's like the biggest point of contention between yeah. Catholics and Protestants because... To me, it's like she could actually be the one that brings it all together if there was an openness to understanding her role. Yeah. Um, And and in fact, you know, you talk to a lot of converts, that's often sometimes the way that they find their way back into the faith. Yeah. Or that's the final, it's either that's how they (laughs) they find their way back in or it's the final hump for them to come back into the fullness, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, and I remind people all the time, Mary is not God. Mary is not equal to God. Mary did not give birth to God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. We use the title Mary the Mother of God. Everything the Catholic Church affirms about Mary, it does so to safeguard the mystery of Jesus, the dignity of Jesus. We say she's a perpetual virgin. Why? Because she didn't have other sons. Because how could you have sons the natural way if God himself was your son? It safeguards the dignity of of the incarnation. And the same yeah, is a true. Of, a lot of people have a, a hard time with that, but go yeah. back to the typology of her being compared to the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. 
Yeah. It was, no one else can no touch it. No one else can touch it unless they die. Yeah, a guy, <laughs> David's friend, puts his hand to steady the ark. It was about to tip over, and God immediately killed him. Yep. Right? God immediately killed it. You don't transgress my holy place. Right? Mary was holy, but we don't believe she's God. What we do is we give her honor. We give her, in the Catholic Church, hyperdulia. And the Greek word dulia means honor. That's one of my favorite words. I know. We give her hyperdulia, <laughs> but we do not give her latria, which means worship or better, adoration. That which is only reserved for God, that's latria. And when people talk about, like, they're offended at the Catholic communion of saints and our understanding of venerating saints, I remind them, saints exist because we all need heroes. They're not in competition with God. They manifest the glory of God. Saints exist because the body of Christ, there's not two bodies of Christ. There's, there's not one for the living and one for the dead or one for the, those in heaven. We're all still totally united to Christ together. One church. We're the church militant, and they are the church triumphant. Yeah. Uh, meaning... We're all in the same church, but they've actually achieved the goal. They're sitting before the throne of God. Yeah. And, and fully the, alive. The, yeah. And the book of Revelation depicts them active in heaven. They are doing work in heaven. One says there's 24 elders, um, the 12 tribes, 12 apostles, and they are gathered before the throne of the Lamb, offering bowls of incense, which are mingled with the prayers of the faithful still on earth. Right, like, and you have this mm. multiple times said, and the, the angels are a part of the body of Christ. We forget that too. They're not just these separate beings. They longed to look at the face of the incarnated Christ, and so you have this beautiful image of the body of Christ. Why do we venerate heroes? Because they've done something heroic, something worthy of imitation. Saint Paul says, "Be imitators of me, dear children, as I am of Christ." Over and over again, he says that. And so when we look at saints, like in Hebrews chapter 11, St. Paul just walks you through, supposedly St. Paul, the author of Hebrews, walks you through all these great Old Testament saints and says, look at them since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let's run after Christ. So our devotion to saints is meant to be, okay, I love Christ. I'm in love with Christ. And look, this guy named St. Francis of Assisi or St. Anthony of Padua or Thomas Aquinas or St. Dominic or... Could you get um, a female saint in there, Gomer? I can put a lot oh, of female saints. Oh, Mary. Saints. Oh, Hyperdulia. Got it. <laughs> Mary. St. Teresa of Avila, <laughs> Teresa Lazou, uh, Dorothy Day as bringing in modern people, Mother Teresa, all these amazing people. You can say, while I am striving after Christ, I can look at these people whose story just naturally appealed to me. Mother Teresa, if you read her life, you'll be like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. You can have a devotion to her. All the devotion, every ounce of honor we give to one of the saints does not take away an ounce of glory from God. That's the equivalent of going to an artist and being like, I just want to talk about you. Forget your paintings. No, everyone knows you affirm an artist when you affirm their painting. Mm. When you admire their artwork, that is absolutely giving glory to the artist. God is the master artist. And the book of Revelation culminates in the one body of Christ, a new Jerusalem, as a bride descending out of heaven uh, to marry the Lamb, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. It's this beautiful image. It's a family image. Right? It's a covenant image. Here is a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon uh, under her feet. Her, on her head is uh, a crown of 12 stars. This is an Israel image. This is a church image. But both of them are fulfilled in Mary. She's a celestial queen. God made her queen of heaven and earth. Why? Because he's the king of heaven and earth. And she's the Gebirah, the queen mother. The queen mother. Right? Mm. And it's all fulfilled. The book of Revelation calls Jesus uh, the keeper of the keys of the house of David. This stuff, the Old Testament stuff, 
doesn't disappear when we go into the New Testament. No. It's fulfilled by the New Testament. That's why you got to love Mary. You got to love Mary. Got to love Mary. I, I just, everything about this uh, podcast from your terrible Canada joke to the deeper theolo- theology <laughs> behind Mary is uh, mother of God warms my heart, really does, because. Just like eggnog. Uh, just like eggnog, but better. Because <laughs> eventually eggnog kind of gets me that kind of nasty gross, feeling. But uh, anyways, I digress. Uh, Mary, mother of God. I, I just think that, again, the church in her wisdom knows uh that it's such a beautiful way to start the liturgical year, or the, excuse me, the not the liturgical year, but the new year, the calendar year with the Feast of Mary, Mother yeah. of, the, of God, and, and giving our, our uh, the year of our Lord, 2019. <laughs> Anno Domini, year of our Lord. Over to his mother. So uh, if you want to know more about Mary, we'll probably do another podcast on this because I, you, you, we could just talk and talk and talk about her. Um, I kind of did. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. It's good. It's all good. Uh, But don't be afraid. Uh, You know, if you're struggling in your relationship with Christ, with Jesus, um, you know, maybe start by uh, looking at his mother and looking at her example of how she said yes. Uh, Open the Gospel of Luke and read all about her because I think that the one thing I've learned uh, in my relationship with the Blessed Mother is that uh, when I don't have the words, when I don't have the emotion, when I don't have Whatever it is that I need. When you ain't feeling it. When I'm not feeling in communion with Jesus Christ, uh, his mother is always there to help me pick up the pieces and get where I need to be. So uh, the perfect thing to round out this podcast is to remind everyone, Mary is like the moon. It's the most splendorous thing in the night sky. It's the most beautiful, the most radiant thing in the night sky. But all of its glory is simply reflected glory. We should all be imitators of Mary, just like we should all be imitators of St. Paul. Mary was the first one to be a disciple of Jesus. She's the first one to have faith in the Son of God. The first. She said yes. The Holy Spirit entered her life in a radical way. Have a Marian faith. The whole church, the whole Petrine order of the church, the whole office of Peter, the whole hierarchy, all of that exists so that we can be Mary's so that we can say yes to Our Lady, so that we can become like the moon, reflecting all the glory of Christ Jesus in our own lives. That's the point of the feast of Mary, the mother of God. It's not about her. It's about whose she is the mother of, right? That's the whole point. Amen. Domino Gloria. Or as they say in Canada, amen. (laughs) Let's go to Tim Hortons. (laughs) 